I'm John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway. And thanks for listening on this Monday right here at the top of the week. Let's think about the work we all have to do. That work all piled up. Wherever you work, whatever your workplace looks like, feels like, we want to know what is changing about your job. What would you change about your job? What changes do you see coming at your job? The employment numbers have been positive lately for a change in the U.S. economy, but that doesn't mean that where you work isn't undergoing some disruptive changes right now. What would you change? This is Jim from Columbia. If I could make just one change regarding work, I would eliminate the 10 to 12-hour workdays and live a little bit more. Thanks, Jim. So we're starting a series of conversations about work, and we want your story. 877-8MY-TAKE or join the discussion at thetakeaway.org. So how bad is it this Monday? Be honest. I'm busy chasing this cash. I did some dirt in my pack. But I'm out here grinding for it like it's gonna be my last. I'm on my job. I swear to God, I'm on my job. I'm on my job. We are here on the job at The Takeaway. Likely you are too. And we all have an impression of what makes for a good day, a productive day. What would make life better? What is a busy, efficient workplace? And what is just busy work? Is your boss spending quality time with you? Are your coworkers happy? Is your office a place you yearn to be? Or here we are, your very own number on your very own door. And behind that door, your very own office. Congratulations, DZ Stroke 015. Welcome to the team. That impression of the gray, forbidding corporate workplace from the 1985 film Brazil still rings true 30 years later. And yet, the stereotypical office of today is probably an open cubicle, if we even have offices. Our meetings could just as easily be virtual as face-to-face these days. You may even be working from home right now. But all that said, the ability to monitor workers' activities while on the job, in the office, or at home, that technology is revolutionary in our time and is just now beginning to be applied at a level that goes far beyond some strategically placed webcams or employer-monitored Internet use. As you think about your brackets for this year's NCAA tournament and the estimated $175 bucks your employer is expected to lose in productivity, Because of basketball distraction, this March Madness season, think about it. You just might be on somebody's radar, being watched. It's possible that the estimated 3 million of you out there who spend an hour or three at work watching the NCAA men's basketball tournament, someone may be watching you. And next year could be very different on the job if employers start using monitoring data to make changes. The ability to track employee behavior with sophisticated monitors to grab huge amounts of data on what works and what doesn't in the workplace is actually a new business and a technological frontier many companies are interested in being a part of. Ben Weber is the president and CEO of Sociometric Solutions, a social sensing technology company that develops ways to monitor employee interaction. And Kenneth Kukier is co-author, along with Victor Meyer Schoenberger, of Big Data, a revolution that will transform how we live, work, and think. Thank you both for being here. Hello. Thanks for having me. So, Ben Weber, let me just ask you the first question here. How much data can you pull off an employee with the kinds of sensors that you're coming up with here and extrapolate that to an entire workforce, if you could? So, in terms of the sensors that we use and the hooks that we have into to email data, IM data, and phone call data, which we obviously do with, with consent and we don't give out individual data, but it's still something where you're pulling out, uh, even with a lot of processing. I mean, the raw data is gigabytes per person per day. 
And then we're doing a lot of you know, analysis on it to try to get it down to a more manageable size. And what's the mission in, uh, in terms of an employer uh, trying to just figure out what's going on, get some baseline data here, or is it mostly figuring out who's breaking the rules? No, so the idea is, you know, you can't really see what individual people are doing, but the idea is to really understand, you know, how are people collaborating, how are different teams collaborating with each other, and how does that relate to the strategy of the organization? Uh, but then also really understanding, you know, what are the things that make people happy and productive at work in terms of, again, understanding, really quantifying the value of things like, you know, what does one conversation by the coffee machine get you? Or, you know, how much money does the company make? when people actually eat lunch with each other. Interesting. So, Kenneth Kukie, this is exactly the kind of big data application that you talk about being transformative. In, in this particular instance, it's the workplace. What have you studied? Yeah, so this is actually an incredibly important uh, thing for companies to think about. In the past, we never could datify how employees would interact with each other, and this is one step towards that being able to do just that. Other techniques that we have used is looked at the way that their emails have been sent around to each other, the contacts that they have outside of the company as well as internally, and again, the way that they have take their breaks. What we found when we looked at IBM uh, in their Rushlikon, famous Rushlikon lab outside of Zurich is that this was the lab that was responsible for many of their Nobel Prizes in the 20th century. And one of the reasons why it was so successful is they had built in, almost inadvertently, ways for employees to collaborate together. Now, it's not certain that employee collaboration does mean innovation, but that is a really good first step. So this is a really interesting thing. And I'm trying to really understand how this is any different from the old efficiency expert folks who would uh, patrol the halls of uh, corporate and industrial America in the 20th century. Uh, It reminds me of a scientist at MIT, Deb Roy, who took this enormous data set of his uh, baby growing up and acquiring language and taking data on everything from eye contact, where the faces were, and he could make all kinds of judgments about how language happens, the quality of a particular interaction, determine whether someone was just sort of sitting or actually collaborating. Does big data, Ben Weber, allow you to do that? Yes, yeah, so it does, and, and especially the application of, of sensors to the workplace allows you to do that. I mean, when you think about it, we all already carry around uh, sensors with us in the workplace. We have little ID badges that normally have you know, an RFID chip in it, which is a radio, and so you know, if you had RFID readers on the ceiling, you could actually figure out where people are. And what we've done is really show what the next generation of that is going to look like in terms of not just looking at location, but really who is talking to who, but also using voice analysis to look at how people talk to each other. You know, not what they say, but looking at tone of voice, volume modulation, how quickly people speak. And uh, through a number of lab studies and now, again, deploying this in the real world, we're really able to connect those different patterns to how interested you are in a conversation, how persuasive you're being. And now you think about that, again, not just in one house um, or even across, you know, for a few individuals, but now you're thinking about, you know, thousands or millions of people sort of collecting that data all the time. And you can start to see sort of the possibilities in terms of learning about, you know, how people actually collaborate and how, you know, effective teams actually work to actually spread across companies and, and across society. Uh, Kenneth Kukie, do you envision the time when you can actually track through big data the quality of interactions? You can determine a boss, for instance, who's clearly not taking employees seriously and uh, track that kind of data? 
Well, absolutely. In some ways, we've already been doing that. So we have looked at, for example, the structure within companies and who talks to whom through email. And when we do that, we find out that the people who are the boss and the people who the employees tend to go to for advice are sometimes different people. And so we have restructured uh, management reporting lines because of that. But we had to use a network map of email interactions. This is a little bit more interesting because it takes the physical world and the digital world and melds it together. So you're right to say that this does not look too dissimilar to the trend in efficiency experts of the 20th century. The difference now is that we're doing it a lot better with granular detail at lower cost. And by doing all of these great benefits in these ways, we can actually get different outcomes that are more pertinent to our needs. All right. So Ben Weber, I'm either a low level employee, a middle level employee or one of these senior managers. But I have the same message. I say to you, hey, pal, I don't want to wear your sensors. You know, count me out. I'm not in this program. I'm not putting on this enslaving technology. What do you and the company say to me? Or am I just branded like bad employee of the month? No, sure. So there's actually a few things we do. So actually, in all of our projects, we actually do opt in. And uh, we even give people dummy badges if they don't want to participate. So, for example, their boss doesn't know that they're not participating. Um, And I think especially when you think about what this kind of technology can do, you know, it's it's very important to have, first of all, a number of guarantees for participants. So, again, we actually – not only does the company not have access to individual data, but we even sign contracts with the individual employees saying we actually show them the database tables of what we collect and we say we're not going to share your individual data with the company. Because again, the point of this, again, if you create sort of a toxic work environment, it's it's going against the whole purpose of this technology. It's not about sort of efficiency and looking at how much time you're spending at your desk versus, you know, how much time uh, you're going to the bathroom. It's really about understanding, you know, all the interactions that you're having at work are extremely effective and extremely important for the entire company. And really quantifying that value and really showing that, again, eating lunch with one of your colleagues for an hour um, is actually extremely important. It's something that a lot of people inherently care about. And what I think one of the reasons why over the last year we've gotten over 90% participation in every company we've gone to, it's because people understand that, you know, these things are what make them happy and effective. But right now they have no way to show to management that, hey, you know what, I, I shouldn't eat lunch at my desk. I should be able to go to the cafe and or go out to lunch with, with my colleagues because actually, again, those interactions are where – I get a better understanding for what other people are doing. We get new ideas, and we just sort of form a more supportive community. Kenneth Kukia, I can envision uh, a listener who maybe works at a retail establishment or, you know, serving at McDonald's saying, you know, we're not winning any Nobel Prizes for serving Big Macs faster. I can only see this technology as a form of enslavement. When workers don't have a whole lot of power, does this kind of uh, monitoring technology help them or um, hurt them? Well, that's right. Uh, And you're raising a difficult question, and and it's a troubling one, and one that is right to be raised, because although what Ben is doing for knowledge workers in tier one companies that are enlightened, it's actually going to go down and filter through to lots of different workers, and it's not going to be as beneficial. In instances like that, I think what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to either recognize that employees give up their rights when they go to the workforce, and that they're going to be monitored in this way. It's going to look like tailorism, but it'll be like a dictatorial tailorism, uh, where we're monitoring every single thing that employees do, whether it's on the production line or or at the McDonald's. And it's not going to be very favorable to employees, of course. It's going to be a tool for management to press upon them. 
On the other hand, um, we can imagine that at least at the top level for the, for the knowledge workers, it's going to actually improve our performance, not necessarily just so that we can improve the bottom line of companies, but also that we as workers ourselves can improve. So it's true that in certain circumstances, this is going to be difficult and we're going to have to maybe redraw on the societal bounds of what we think is tolerable as employees and as, as companies. But for individuals, it does not have to be so um, evil. It could also be a way that we can improve what we do. You right. can imagine, for example, a doctor in a hospital would like to know how much time he's spending with different patients in terms of bedside time versus in the operating room versus reading an x-ray. And this actually might improve the way that we interact. Ben Weber, who owns this data, the company or your company? No, it's actually my company owns the data. And and that's one of the really important things. Even when you think about, from the company's perspective, what's really important? They want to understand really what are the things that make people productive in general so that they can roll those out into training programs so that they can give feedback to managers about how to better manage their team, but also so that individuals can see, for example, if you're in a retail store and you get paid on commission, well, how do the highest performers, you know, what do they do? How do they interact with customers? I don't need to know who it is, but I, I want to be able to see where my behavior stacks up compared to those people. And then also be able to understand, even in, you know, when we've looked at call centers, when we've looked at retail organizations, this idea that when you look at the interactions between people, those things are by far the most predictive of things like you know, retention, productivity, and job satisfaction. And at the end of the day, that's what these companies care about. Ben Weber and Ken Kukier, thank you so much. Thank you. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.